Scripture reading today is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among you, from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. your interest in spiritual things this morning, we hope that you will uh, be taking out your Bibles and studying along with us from the Word of God. We're going to be starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the passage that we just read this morning. That's going to be our serving as our text as we engage in a study of the Scriptures this morning. We have been, throughout this year, we have been looking at the idea and the biblical concept of fellowship and how fellowship is an important concept in the New Testament Scriptures that emphasizes a great deal of our relationship with God the Father and with Christ Jesus His Son. We have fellowship with each other in the church, and as we have fellowship in our work sharing the gospel, those are some of the things that we've tried to emphasize throughout this study this year when we look at fellowship. And fellowship is simply... A partnership, it's a participation in which we work together for a common goal, for a common purpose, where we are going to stand side by side, arm in arm, working together for the cause of Christ. That's what fellowship really is from a biblical perspective. And our fellowship with God is critical for our hope of heaven. So we have to be certain that we are continuing to walk in the light, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, this concept of light and darkness and the contrast that we see in Scriptures and that Jesus he said that He is the light of the world and that we as His disciples, we are those who reflect His light, that we are to be uh, the salt of the earth, we are to be the light of the world, that we are to be reflecting His image that's what 1 John tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 5. He says, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, it says. He goes on in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, that is, if we are going to claim to have fellowship with God, 
and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That these, this idea of light and darkness, that they do not go together, they are incompatible, they are inharmonious, they cannot mesh because darkness is not light by its very nature. It is not light. Light is not darkness. Just by its very nature, you cannot have you cannot have something be light and dark at the same time. It's an impossibility. And so that's really what Paul, I think, is trying to get us to see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. That as long as we are in this world, there are going to be influences that try to tear us down. There are going to be the influences of darkness from the evil one that are going to try to destroy this fellowship that we have with God. And we have to be prepared to overcome the temptations and the allurements to join ourselves or to have fellowship with darkness. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I hope you'll take out your Bibles and be turning there. Because Paul is using the language of partnership, participation, of who are you aligning yourself with? Who really joining? Which side have you taken? Which side are you on? In verse 14, he says, Do not be bound or do not be unequally yoked, as some translations say. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership, notice that word partnership, have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony, he says, has Christ with Belial? The idea of Belial is... It's sometimes thought of to be a name for Satan there, or at least an allusion to idolatry. He says, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Those, I, those words that he's continuing to use in verse 16, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He's used the idea of being bound or unequally yoked. Partnership, fellowship, harmony, common, agreement. And Paul understands that we are going to have worldly influences around us as long as we are alive, as long as we live here, that there are going to be things that are distracting us. There are going to be things that tempt us. There's darkness. There's going to be uh, associations that we have in the workplace, wherever we might go and, and where we live. There are going to be things that are going to try to uh, harm us. And Paul's not trying to say that you can't have any association with anyone in the world. I would just point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. Paul says that you, he's not talking about distancing yourself or not associating with people of the world altogether. What Paul is really trying to get us to see is asking this primary issue, who has the stronger influence over you? Where is your fellowship really at? Is it with God or is it with the world? Who has a stronger influence over you? Or do you have a stronger influence over the world? And so Paul, he describes the five areas of incompatible uh, participation or fellowship. Righteousness and lawlessness. Light and darkness. Christ and Belial. Believers and unbelievers. The temple of God and idols. He goes through those things, those, those five groupings, if you will. And he says 
These cannot have anything to do with each other. Not because he's trying to be hateful, but because by their very nature, they do not work together. They cannot work together. Righteousness is doing the law of God and the law of Christ and following it in obedience. Lawlessness is disobeying God's law. It's, you can't have obedience and disobedience. You can't have light and darkness. You can't have Christ and Satan. You can't be a believer in Christ and an unbeliever in Christ at the same time. They're incompatible. They just do not go together. Because they are complete and total opposites and they do not share the very nature and so Paul is trying to get us to see that when it comes to this issue of fellowship, that this is something that we as the people of God, he uses the language here in verse 16, I would have you look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. This is God said, and he quotes from the book of Exodus, and strings together a couple of quotations where I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. What Paul is trying to show us is that we as the people of God, as the church, we are the temple of God. Just as in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the place where God dwelt. His presence was there. We as the church, this is where God is. This is where God dwells. Whenever we are together, when we are worshiping, when we are in fellowship with each other, when we are in fellowship with God, that is when we are all working together. Fellowship lives in the Lord's church. That's something that we need to understand. Fellowship lives in the Lord's church. When we are joined together and we are working for the same cause, when we worship together, that is fellowship. Whenever we share the gospel and we work to share the gospel, we are in fellowship. And so what Paul is trying to warn us is that there is something that can destroy that fellowship. And because of our fellowship, we are called to be separate. He says in verse 17, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Because of our fellowship with God, because of our fellowship with one another, we are called to live differently. We are called to not engage in the works of darkness. We are called to live in the light just as God is light. And so we have to be very careful in how we live. We have to give consideration to the places that we go and the things that we do, the things that we are engaging in, the things that we teach our children, the things that we are going to do out in the world. We have to ask ourselves, is this going to weaken my relationship with God and with Christians? Or is this only going to strengthen my relationship with the Lord and with fellow believers? And so Paul is trying to get us to see that since we have fellowship with God, we are called to be separate from this world. We are motivated, he tells us. And he gives us some motivation. That we are motivated to be God's people. 
and to remain separate because we have God's promises. If you noticed in the reading, we went into chapter 7. This is one of those places where I really hate the chapter division. In chapter 7 in verse 1, Paul hasn't changed subjects. Because he says, therefore having these promises. Well, what promises have he talked about? Well, you have to go back into chapter 6 in verse 17 at the very end of that. After he has called us to be separate, he says, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. We have first the promise of God's presence that we are going to be the people of God and God is going to dwell among us. He is going to be with us. And because of His presence, we also have the promise of His relationship with us, that He is a father to us and we are His children. He uses that language of being a father to you and we will be His sons and daughters. Those are the promises that Paul is trying to use to motivate us. That God's presence and His relationship, they are the promises that motivate us. And so you read in chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. Not just some defilement, right? He doesn't say, well, you can just live a partial, uh, partially good life. Yeah, you can allow a little bit of darkness in there. No, that's not what Paul says, is it? That if we are going to be the people of God, if we're going to have fellowship with God, it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. That he says, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Affecting holiness in the fear of God. That when we speak about ourselves as the church being the temple of the living God, the place of worship, the place of holiness where God is with us, and because of our personal relationship with God, because of our personal individual fellowship with the Lord, that comes with some demands. That comes with the demand that we rid ourselves of any darkness that might be in our life. That we have to repent. And we have to come back into the light. Because the two cannot mix together. And it certainly is a struggle to remain pure and clean. Living in this world is challenging. We all deal with various types of temptations that surround us and we have to fight to resist those things. And sadly, we give in to those temptations. Even though we know we should resist, we know that our fellowship with darkness corrupts our relationship with the Lord and we still give in sometimes. It's hard. Life is challenging. Satan is trying to throw everything he can at us. But we have to be on guard. We have to be ready to fight. We have to be ready to resist. And we have to take on this call. We have to take on this call to be separate. That's what we have to embrace. Now, our fellowship with the Lord is going to require something of us that we remove 
darkness, and filth, and sin from our life. So this morning, I want us to consider some ways, and this is not going to be an exhaustive list, or else we would be like Paul preaching tonight. And you can thank, uh, you can thank the Lord later that we'll be doing that. But we do want to think of a few ways in which the darkness is coming against us. In which Satan tries to harm us. Areas in which he tries to get us to compromise. Compromising just a little bit. Where we can just try to mingle a little bit of darkness with, with a lot more light. That's what Satan is trying to get us to do. And so this morning I want you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at some of the wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs and some of the warnings that are found there in which we need to give heed to that gives us the key to understanding a, a life with God and a life with others. And the first thing I want us to think about is our speech. How do we use our language and our tongue? I've appreciated some of the songs that we were led in as we worshipped this morning. It had to remind us about our speech and how we use our language. In Proverbs chapter 6 and in verse 12, notice the description. Very strong language that Solomon uses. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually despises or devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore his calamity will come suddenly, instantly he will be broken, and there will be no healing. The power that is behind the tongue and our language and the words that we use Paul wants, or uh, Solomon wants us to give some serious consideration to that. The idea there that he speaks about in verse 12, it's the idea of being worthless. It is literally Belial, which is interesting that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says Christ and Belial have nothing to do with each other. And it comes from this Hebrew passage in the book of Proverbs. And it that we see here in Proverbs chapter 6, a worthless or a belial person is one who uses and has a perverse mouth, one who cannot control his tongue, one who makes mischief, one who spreads strife, and does what is evil and wrong in the sight of God. Notice, in, continue on in verse 16, uh, Solomon says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Body eyes... A lying tongue. God can, is concerned about how you speak. He's concerned about what you say. God, He is demanding that you bring everything under His power, under His control. And if we are unwilling to even control our tongue and our speech and our language, the things that we say, the things that we say about other people, then that's something that the Lord hates. 
person who does not control his tongue is someone who is considered worthless, a wicked person. In Proverbs chapter 25, in Proverbs chapter 25 and in verse 23, Solomon says, The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue, an angry countenance. That hate speech brings about hate, doesn't it? It breeds forth hatred and contempt. And our speech can become contemptible, ugly, harsh, rude, crude, and evil. And yet, sometimes we are completely willing to ignore passages such as that. Whenever we get angry, when we get emotional, we say things that maybe we, we say, well, I, I didn't mean that. But we still said it. Things can be found in our hearts. And we allow those things to come out. Sometimes whenever we are angry, or we despise certain or certain actions or certain groups of people are happy to, maybe we wouldn't say something ugly to their face, but we'll get behind a keyboard or on a phone and type something and put it out there on social media for everyone to see and use language that is not fitting for a Christian or a child of God. Speech is something that we have to watch because if Satan can get us to Mean a little bit of ugliness and perversity in our life. And He has us right where He wants us. We have to watch what we say. It's something very easy. James talks about in James chapter 3. He talks about how easy it is to allow our tongue to get ahead of us and to rule our life. In James chapter 3, he warns that some people ought not to be teachers because they're going to incur a stricter judgment. He says we all stumble in many ways in verse 2. And he talks about how the tongue is like the rudder of a ship in which it directs and gives pilot and direction to where we go with our life. And so he says in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. We have to be taking the, the warnings here about how we use our tongue. How do we talk? Are we swearing? Are we using curse words and language that just is not fitting for a child of God? Do we curse other people? Do we gossip? Do we spread lies? And do we try to malign other people? Maybe people that we disagree with very strongly and very passionately. Do we use language that is just unfitting for a child of God? That's one way that we can allow darkness into our life. We align ourselves with darkness and have fellowship with it rather than light. A second 
way in which we are sometimes tempted and we give in to the darkness is through sexual lust. In Proverbs chapter 5, in Proverbs chapter 5 and in verse 15, begin reading with me. In Proverbs chapter 5 and in verse 15, he says, Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. I'm just going to stop right there and give you a little bit of clue in how to read the Proverbs. He's not talking about water and wells or anything of that nature. Because he goes on in verse 18, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his his own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Our society craves, and it is built on, sexual lust and sexual temptation. It's everywhere. You can't turn on a TV, you can't watch a movie without it being somewhere and very blatant in your face. It is all over the place. You watch an ad or a commercial on television, it's there. There are sexual temptations and perversions of God's plan all throughout our society. And Proverbs makes it abundantly clear that the marriage union between a man and a woman is the place for satisfaction, joy, and exhilaration. And seeking that satisfaction before marriage or after you're married with someone who is not your spouse is sinful and it will bring destruction to your soul. It will keep you captive and held in sin. The language there is very clear. He says in verse 21, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. And he will be held with the cords of his sin. Now he's bound by it. The sexual lust that is out there, the temptation to participate in sexual activity before marriage, that is something that our young people have to deal with at school at a way too early of an age. Or whenever we might be at the workplace, we look at someone who is not our spouse, we allow that lust, that thought to linger a little too much. Sexual lust will hold you captive and it will keep you in sin. We have to guard against that. We need to be thinking and protecting ourselves so that we do not fall into that temptation. A third thing that we're going to consider this morning is the participation with alcohol. And I want you to think about the language that the book of Proverbs uses about participating in alcohol and drinking it. 
in Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 1. In Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. The Bible obviously warns about intoxication here, doesn't it? Sometimes we jump to thinking that is, well, okay, I guess I can drink a little bit as long as I don't get drunk. Well, the word intoxication there is really interesting because it can mean what we think of as just drunk, hungover, or something like that. But in Proverbs chapter 5, the passage that we just read, the same word is used there. It's translated differently, but it is used there in verse 19 of Proverbs 5, in which he's talking about in enjoying the marriage bliss and the marriage union and the marriage bed. And he says, be exhilarated always with her love. That word exhilarated, it's where also the word there in Proverbs 20 for intoxication. The word is not limited to just thinking about drunkenness. In fact, the first definition of, if you look in a Hebrew dictionary, the first definition that you will find is that it means to be led astray. It means that you will follow the way of error. And I find that very interesting because that's the first and primary concern that Solomon is trying to get us to see. Is that whenever we engage in drinking of alcoholic beverage, it leads us astray. One drink may not make you drunk, but one drink will lead you astray. And that's the warning that he's trying to get us to see. And the passage is warning that anyone who is tempted by wine, beer, or any other strong drink needs to listen to this passage. Alcohol will lead you astray. That's why in Proverbs chapter 23, he warns in verse 29, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? The answer to all those questions those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine. Then notice what he says in verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Yes, that's whenever you're drunk. But what he tells us, we not only need to avoid the at last, we need to avoid, avoid it in the first place, and the allurement of it. And he says, do not look on it. And if he tells us to not even look at it, then how can we excuse drinking it? He says in verse 33, Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things and you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not 
become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awaken? These are the scariest words in this passage. I will seek another drink. Someone who voluntarily goes through all that. And what do they do? They want another one. They want another one. They want to go back to it. Because that's the pool of darkness. It's trying to bring you in. It's trying to bring you in. We need to listen to the wisdom of verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Fellowship with darkness is dangerous. And we have to put away any connections that we have with darkness. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 11, notice what Paul says here. In Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 11, do not participate. That's connected to our word fellowship in the Greek. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. We have no room to compromise. We have to remain pure and separate from the world. We cannot have fellowship with these things and participate in these things. We need to expose them for what they are. They are sin, and Paul emphatically commands saints to not participate in them. We need to expose the error and the sin. Because we as Christians have been called to expose and destroy darkness, not join it. But there is good news. Even if we have compromised, even if we have joined ourselves and aligned ourselves with Satan and with darkness, there's still forgiveness. There's grace that we can find. In the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 6. John says that if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you are here this morning and you are claiming to be a Christian and yet you participate in sin, then your fellowship with God has broken. It's been severed. There is a path forward. He says in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. So we can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He in verse 9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
What a beautiful picture of God's mercy and grace. And even when we have stumbled, even when we have not lived up to God's requirement of being separate, being cleansed, and being holy, God is still willing to forgive us of all unrighteousness if we will confess our sins and allow Jesus' blood to cleanse us from that sin. Because Jesus, He died for the sins of the world, but He died also to bring atonement and forgiveness to even, even to those who claim to follow Him. In chapter 2 and verse 1, John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Sin is not the goal. But he says, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus Christ gave Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. This morning, if you are found to be in sin, to have compromised your relationship and your fellowship with God, God is faithful and He's righteous to forgive you. And Jesus gave His life and His blood as a sacrifice so that you could be washed Away. Your sins could be washed away. Do not stubbornly remain in your sin. Don't let Jesus' death be in vain. He died for you. Confess your faults and seek God's forgiveness. Because we must guard our fellowship with God as something that is precious. Because Jesus gave His precious blood to obtain that fellowship with Him. We must expose the works of darkness. So let us always seek to maintain our fellowship with God by walking in the light as He is in the light. This morning it might be that you need to come out of darkness and back into the light. We want you to make that step. We want you to come and be cleansed by the blood of Christ. We want you to come back to Him. If you will come, confessing your faults and your sins, you will find a gracious and merciful, loving Father in heaven who is ready to forgive you. Maybe it is that you have never become a child of God and you are still in your sins. Christ died for you. You can come faith believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, be baptized in water to have your sins washed away, coming into contact with the blood of Jesus, your Savior. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?